In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Our podcast has a tendency to focus on the problems that exist in our society. Well, because they do exist. Hopefully, if we draw attention to them, we can all start working on solutions. We hope you understand that. This episode is no different. I grabbed Roger, foolishly without Kelly, and put him on the spot. I asked him to share where he thinks the mental health system could be in the near future and what the focus should be on. On today's podcast, we discuss the future, mental health in the year 2030. Roger, you a fan of late night TV? Not at all. Not at all. Mm-mm. But I know you watched some back in the day. How about Conan O'Brien? When, when I was college, I used to, because I was up that late to watch late night TV. I'm just not up that late. Yeah, and, and when you were going to school, you were driving back and forth. You didn't have time to watch late night tv you know but what i remember about conan o'brien tell me because because i think you know where i'm going with this <laughs> i don't at all but okay. he had this um he had this segment in the year 2000 that's exactly it was like where i'm going oh you're going there that's exactly where <laughs> i'm going and he continued to do it even after the year 2000 because oh, okay. it became this ongoing joke he's funny it, it it was and it made me think of how can we Stop talking about what's wrong with the system. I think we can touch on that today too. But start prognosticating Mm -hmm. about the future of the mental health care system and where it could potentially go and where we think it needs to go. So I'm throwing out the year 2042. So can you use your high, high falsetto voice? In the year 2042. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's pretty far out. I know. It's 20 years. Let's go 2030. 2030? Because it's rapid. It's, you know, it is. You're you're probably right. It is rapidly moving in the direction I think it's going to, to, uh, where it's going to reach. I mean, it's right. It's happening right in front of our eyes. So I think we have to comment on what we're seeing right in front of our eyes. And then we can predict out. So let's start there because I've been here for a short period of time. And I made a list of some bullets that I hope will guide this conversation. So since I've, and they may have existed prior to me joining, but this is what I've become aware of. Mm -hmm. In the short time that I've been here, there has been a national mental health crisis declared. The role of telemedicine has increased. The rise of wellness-based apps also increased. And many people might not know this one, but private equity groups are acquiring outpatient mental health providers. I, we've been contacted a number of times and I just tell you, ignore it. I get, now. yeah, I get an email every week. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I, I think that there's more of a focus on an integrated care model. I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but um, I was uh, listening to the state of the union and uh, Biden was kind of listing out some of his solutions or ideas of working with Congress 
to overcome this mental health crisis that exists in the country. So I, I think we'll start there. So the first bullet I had was this men national mental health crisis has been declared. And what he identified and what we identified in a previous discussion is there's a supply and demand issue, right? There is a number of people that are seeking out mental health care and there are not enough qualified providers to uh, work with each of those individuals. So one of the big things that he's trying to push for is to strengthen the healthcare uh, system by increasing the capacity. So there are a number of things that I think are good. Um, one in terms of providing training and access to scholarships and loan repayment to mental health and substance use disorder clinicians committed to practicing in rural I got a bigger and question. underserved communities. I I know where you're going with this, and, mm -hmm. and, I, and some of these things that you want to talk about as far as responses to the mental health crisis are important, Yep. but shouldn't we ask ourselves, why is this needed? And why is it in the modern-day healthcare system is the one that's going to, to carry the load? If so many people are, are experiencing mental health problems, Aren't we looking at much greater problems within society, within family, within modern life? Definitely. So let's start with there. Let's talk about the problems of modern living that are contributing to a mental health crisis. Because if, if we're saying that there is a, an epidemic that exists mm -hmm. and, it's, and if we predict out, we say that's going to increase and that you need more and more providers, I think the first thing we have to uh, acknowledge is that's an impossible task. Because mental health isn't the same as, as, as physical health. Yeah. And the amount of people who are going to go into that field um, are, are, are nowhere near the amount that are going to go into medicine. Um, and then to think about it in terms of a, like a medical condition, which is what they're doing, is problematic. So if, if you open this up with talking about how um, these equity firms mm -hmm. are jumping into the business. There's apps, there's well-being. We can simply say that mental health is big business. Why is it big business? Because of the uh, amount of people that potentially need help. Are just miserable? That's what they're saying. You know, so we have this many people that are just absolutely miserable that they're struggling to cope and they require professional assistance. Mm-hmm. From traditionally, which was been of what a, a percentage of the population, even going going through my program with uh, my goals of being a clinical psychologist, I wanted to work with people who were really suffering, um, you know, clinical conditions. And what we're seeing is we have a rise in people who would have never otherwise been identified with a mental health condition wanting to work on their mental health. And there's decreased stigma campaigns and there's money and there's apps. So they're trying to increase customers. We talk about this from a, from a business perspective. There is a, a real clear attempt to increase the number of people seeking out mental health services. In order for that to do that, they have to, in some way, sell mm -hmm. mental health that they can benefit from it. And if you can sell mental health that they can benefit from it, you have to have this idea that there's something within them that needs, it needs correcting, is broken, needs to be fixed, needs to be changed. You need to adapt. You need to evolve. Right? Yep. So what is sound mental health care? If that many people are struggling, what are they turning to? 
they're turning to their phones first for, for one. I think they're, they're just looking for a community to engage with, but everybody turns to their phone as the first solution for everything they're looking for in life. If they're looking for a recipe, if they're looking to do shopping, they turn to their phones. And when they're struggling with the mental health, their mental health, they'll turn to their phones first. Okay. So you might be referring to the idea that someone might be really down or sad, Mm -hmm. uh, feel lonely, feel a bit isolated, maybe feel anxious. And they're turning to phones, which is like this digital world now where they're trying to seek out connection. Yeah. So are you trying to identify the root cause of this problem? Well, so, I, so, so let's start number one. What, what's happening with, with society? Are, are we just more isolated? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're more isolated. I would say there's uh, somewhat of a breakdown of the traditional family structure. And I, I look at either a single... Um, the evidence wouldn't suggest that wouldn't suggest that there's a breakdown in the family structure of like you, like a like a dual income family with two parents working and children left to their own devices. Well that's uh, that's been going on. Or a single family. Yeah, I, I think now I wasn't prepared for this type of discussion. That's okay. Um but I think from what I what I've seen is that divorces have been trending downward. Well marriage has been trending downward. So is that like a is a correlation causation thing? I don't know. Uh, open discussion. Just yeah, I mean, they're, they're good questions, but I, I don't see the root of mental health problems being a, a breakdown in or changes in the family structure. Well, I'd see the solution to most things comes down to family and education uh, to, to be, to put it into just two categories. Family, you're right, maybe it's not the traditional you know parental role, but having a support system of, of people who care about you that are your family, grandparents, brothers, cousins, whatever, just somebody that's looking out for you or you're looking out for them is, is one way to overcome this issue. If someone's isolated on their own and they feel like they're, they're left with nobody to turn to, that's a problem. Yeah, I'm, I might be biased here because I, I think you know, the majority of people that I work with and, and the teens that we're servicing here where we're seeing an extraordinary rate in mental health conditions, you know, a lot of them come from, you know, families that I would not in any way um, characterize as like neglectful or abusive or broken Mm -hmm. or or high conflict, not any more than any other point, you know, maybe that existed earlier in my career. So what we're seeing is a change in the way that I think society interacts with each other. And I would I don't agree with you in the fact I see it as isolation. I, I see an isolated community of, of people that's only increasing and in, into a digital world. And in that digital world um, is one that leads to social comparison, um, high attention and focus to presentation and appearance, which you know provokes tons of like insecurities. There's a degree of like nastiness that exists in our culture through cyberbullying. And, uh, you know, even on, you know, like Twitter, people can say whatever they want to each other. And, you know, the same thing happens, you know, you know, that's, it's even amplified, I think, you know, with teenagers, I see a, I see a culture that's divided, that no longer demonstrates the same social respect, um, and kind of the, the mores that kind of guide, you know, behavior have like altered or changed and, it's a it's a it's a divisive culture that's that's broken down along identity, 
uh, if you know, just, just almost fragmentation of everybody. It just feels that way from from politics to mm-hmm. the news to identity politics. It almost feels like there's this pitting of all of us against each other, and it just it makes for a toxic environment. And I think my clients feel it. I think kids feel it. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes within that culture of trying to like divide people, um, even if some of the the outcomes are, or the intention is to be positive and like, you know, decrease oppression or improve social justice. It can, it can somehow come across this way where, you know, people are, are, are victims to somebody else, which drives this like anger and divisiveness. And this leads right into kind of how I think it's um, a lot of people now that the vulnerable are, are being taken advantage of by, by big business um, the, the pharmaceutical industry, the mental health industry, the apps, is that you're, we're kind of identifying um, something that would be normal and expected given the conditions. Mm-hmm. So I think we're, we're isolated. There's not enough connection with nature. We're coming out of a pandemic. There's wars. There's news. There's just toxicity. Kids, um, you know, we're taken out of school. People wearing masks. Uh, the social media effect is clearly documented on poor mental health. And all that, you know, has been kind of been you know, thrown at us over the past 15 years. And it's just increasing. And we are becoming more isolated and more distrusting. And the consequences are poor health. I mean, our food sources, you know, the same way. I think if you look at a lot of people, what they what they eat and how they live, um, you know, the the consequence to that is poor health, mm-hmm. poor physical and poor mental health. And then you have an industry that is trying to take advantage of that by calling them illnesses. And if there's illnesses, you're driving people to medical intervention. And the medical intervention is, is the drug. And that's what mental health treatment is predominantly being viewed as. It is some form of social connection. So it's a therapy that's not validated. It's a person to talk to and a drug. And when you see these increasing to the extent that they, that they are, um, I think I, I posted something on, um, I've just been curious about ADHD, right? Yeah. Because so many people are just self-identifying as ADHD and getting stimulants. And there was uh, an article a few years ago by, on Bloomberg that I found that the ADHD market size is, is going to be worth $25 billion by 2025. So this, where ADHD evolved from, it was a condition to identify in these young children the most disruptive and the most hyperactive. Mm-hmm. Ones that were so impairing, like they couldn't get through a classroom or they dart into traffic. You know, so you, you develop these interventions to the point now anyone from age 5 to 85 is being prescribed stimulants. Um, these apps without scientific ba- backing um, and all these accommodations, and it's a it's a two it's a twenty five billion dollar market. So right? let's let's um, let's talk about the business of the mental health care system. So let's look forward into the year twenty thirty. I'm a eighteen year old individual who's struggling. What do you think the course of action is going to be for me? Use, don't, don't use what you know now. Yeah. Make some predictions of how you think someone can easily fall into. They don't leave their, they don't leave their room. Okay. Their, their stimulation um, and any attempt to feel good is through a virtual world. Could be the metaverse at this time. Yeah, I, I wrote that down as a bullet to, to bring up. So sex is through a metaverse. 
right? <laughs> Potentially. Right? It's because it's, you know, it's exposure to pornography. We know the dangers of that. You know, it's, it's seeking out dopamine rushes electronically, which brings a real downside to this. And you're trying to bring yourself up with drugs. And your social connection is through, through an app and a prescription that's sent to your door. And you don't leave your home. And, this is and, where, and this what's is the where, consequences of that? This is, where, <laughs> <laughs> this is where society's moving. It's misery. You think it's just going to be an ultimate a, a breakdown of society uh, even further? I think Potentially. Soci- I think we are on the, um, we are on the verge of, of our culture and society breaking down as we know it. I think it's already started. And I'm not sure that's not intentional. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of the the attempts to uh, improve the situation or or the perceived uh, improving of the situation, and you know, the role of telemedicine has become really important for people to get access to care. I know you're not a fan of it because you ro- you recognize. I don't ac- speak for you. It's an access to drugs. Well, um, uh, let's use telemedicine in the in the uh, in the uh, in the mental health space where it's not access to drugs, but actually like a talk space like, situation like, yeah, with a clinical psychologist. Let's let's use psychology and how this business can potentially evolve. The role of telemedicine is is important for people to get access to care. Do you feel like it could then become the crutch, where it's the first step or maybe the only step? Well, if you, you know, going back to our last podcast on, you know, we were talking about the, uh, the myth of the talking cure. Yeah. Um, the idea that just having someone to talk to and some emotional support improves mental health, I think is, uh, you know, obviously it, it's a myth. Support and somebody to talk to is, is necessary, but not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the questions that I, that I have, um, you know, if somebody is trying to access care just through an app, what is preventing them? Um, where what is preventing them from being able to meet face to face and develop like real clear behavioral plans and work from an evidence based model? I think um, you know access to evidence based care is what is going to decrease, and I do believe in evidence based principles, evidence based transdiagnostic principles to treat conditions. What they're trying to do is they're trying to expand their market base. And, um, you know, there's, it's just going to be a support kind of motivational kind of talk process, someone to connect with. And I think that might be the problem for a lot of people is they're socially disconnected. And that social disconnection is just leads to loneliness and unhappiness. And if it's just going to be filled by that person on that other side that you can talk to, it's going to end up feeling empty. And you're going to see poor outcomes in this. So I was thinking forward into the future. I was using 2042 just because it was 20 years, but you're right. I think it's going to be 2030. If someone is seeking out care and with everything that's happening right now, the rise of these wellness-based apps, private equity firms acquiring outpatient centers, the role of advertising is what I was thinking about. How that will influence the path that people take. So with the amount of people that need care and the first way that they're going to seek out care is by jumping into a Google search and, and doing just the normal research one would do to try and find that first, that first uh, approach into the mental health system, you're going to be exposed to the big brands 
and whoever that ends up being, we don't know yet, but these wellness apps are going to be acquired by someone. And then on that first page, there's going to be three or four that are top of mind, the ones that people know about, and they're going to start there. And the way that business has worked, and there are some, some, some movement to prevent this from getting out of control, is just the role of, of data. So even though I might sign up for a session through a wellness app, they'll remove all of my personal identification information, but they're going to assign a unique number to me. So Sean McFillan becomes number 8735321. And they're going to track me everywhere I go from there on out. When I'm on, the, on a website, when I'm doing research, and maybe when I'm in that metaverse, they're going to know where I am. They're going to know that I'm struggling with something. And there's an opportunity then for them to remarket to me that next level of service. And all these things are happening currently. And, you know, we're, uh, this is part or at least one of the factors that's contributing to poor mental health. Mm-hmm. Because you're getting bombarded with with certain messages, and if if we talk about the divisiveness that exists in in culture and the resentment and the identity politics and um, the range of negative emotions that are being experienced, it's partially because it's being you're being targeted, you're being targeted through uh, messages through social media that are feeding into a lot of these kind of ideas and narratives. You brought up that idea of the metaverse. And I don't know how many people understand what... I don't even know if I understand it. Some people are calling it like the omniverse. It's it's still an alternative reality. It is. So let me throw this out to you. And it it kind of popped in my head. Is you're basically going to be an avatar, right? So you could be sitting in your room. You put on your virtual headset and you enter into this world. If you're actually seeking out therapy, there could be an avatar providing therapy to an avatar, (laughs) <laughs> and you won't know if you're talking to a real person or some computer computer that's giving you what they determine to be the most appropriate response given the language, the tone, and the words that you're using. Scary. So that human connection, that ability to respond appropriately and challenge in what you do in your normal face-to-face sessions, you know, sometimes calling people out on, on their bowl, you know, putting them in their place when, when they're doing something repeated. Um, and I don't, I'm really interested to see what would happen in that metaverse because you, you can train people, but people are flawed. I mean, when I, when you train people, I mean, actual clinicians to live in that. But there's going to be a lot of people who are going to prefer that reality to their own reality. And, you know, that's going back to talking about the breakdowns in our culture and our society that have been building now over decades. Mm -hmm. This is the result, I think, of so many factors from an economic factor. It's a, you know, it's the middle class dying out in the United States. We are a service-based economy right now. And technology plays a huge role in that. There's a greater divide between the rich and the poor. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, it you have these influencers and the rich and they're living this life that's kind of manufactured and you're comparing your life against theirs. You don't, you know, a lot of people don't even understand what is real anymore. You're, there's so many messages that are being sent to, to people that are just unrealistic. 
Um, that's the thing that I, that I think I'm really concerned about when it comes to often to mental health is people no longer trust their own experiences. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what they're, if they're, what they're feeling or experiencing is normal. They're left to their own devices and kind of comparing themselves to others. Someone else looks so much happier and they're doing so many other things. Mm-hmm. So like I'm less than and my life is worse. And then like you throw out there like trying to decrease stigma of mental illness. They don't know like what am I, what if I'm ill? What if there's something wrong with me? And there's this like uncertainty and this, um, this anxiety about who they are. And that is being used. And like, I think it's being purposefully manipulated for financial gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you can, if you can trigger, provoke those insecurities in people, you can sell a product to them to help them try to feel better, at least temporarily. Again, it's the, it's the dopamine rush. Right? If you can look more like that celebrity, if you can look more like that person who's really successful, if you can talk like them, well, then, you know, you can, you can feel and live and have all the things that they have. And it's completely, it's unrealistic. And we're seeing more and more people not developing kind of the coping skills to be able to face the challenges that life is going to bring. Uh, everything it takes in order to build a lasting relationship or a lasting marriage, career, purpose, um, dealing with the pain of living. You know, it is, it is absolutely being communicated to people that feeling uh, aversive and negative emotions is something to be avoided in life. And there might be something wrong with you if you do. And, and they're trying to create those customers for life in different ways, whether it's, uh, whether it's the pharmaceutical company or the medical industry or, you know, just the, the technology uh, industry. They are targeting you. And so the collective mental health of society is decreasing. And it has to be a movement for all of us to kind of resist this. We have to get away from our phones. We have to get away from our computers. We have to connect more with each other. We have to get outside more. We have to connect with nature. We have to exercise. We have to be more careful of what we're putting into our bodies. We have to really manage this technology or it's going to hijack our brains. And when it hijacks our brains, it creates a dependency, a dopamine rush that we're going to turn to when we feel horrible, when we're not getting that dopamine rush from other things, such as a hug, love, um, competing, uh, going for a run, spending time with family. You know, everything becomes a little bit more detached and it's slowly becoming detached and you're being taken advantage of. And your unhappiness, if you're, if, if you're going to turn to uh, you know, that metaverse, that internet, that site, that thing you're going to order from Amazon, the porn industry, whatever it's going to take to just get some short-term dopamine kind of ru- rush from the emptiness that you feel in your life, that's no way to live. It's going to make you feel more miserable. You turn to sugar and processed foods and other things that give you kind of that quick dopamine rush. It's just trying to feel good compared to always feeling bad. So you have this rising rates of, of mental health conditions. No, the answer is not to have more mental health clinicians. Let's change the problems. Let's see them as they exist and let's, let's go there. Let's not build more industries to deal with the problems that have been created by you. Yeah, but those industries are coming. And I've got another prediction I'm going to throw out to you. And maybe I'm, I'm influenced right now. I've been watching that series, Dope Sick, 
on Hulu, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, I highly recommend it'll it'll drive you crazy because I know how you. I don't feel. need to be <laughs> driven crazy any more than I already am. But it's it's making me think about how some moves are so calculated and often three or four steps ahead of what people are thinking about. And right now, the administration is trying to ensure coverage of telebehavioral health across health plans and and support delivery of telemedicine across state lines. That, to me, seems like a very um, positive way of improving the situation. But they're only using the term telemedicine across state lines. And and you're required to have a license in the state of Pennsylvania, right, Raj? I am. And every practicing clinician has to be licensed, and they can't practice elsewhere. But now they're taking just one um, platform which is telemedicine and opening that up across state lines. So I'm thinking, what's the next step, right? Right now with all these wellness-based apps, they're going to have more opportunities to expand their reach and then get reimbursement through the existing insurance companies with telemedicine only, right? And then you have these private equity firms that are going around and they're acquiring all of these outpatient uh, mental health clinics, mo- most of them private and small, uh, like yours. And as that technology becomes validated and this national system of reimbursement starts being established, you know what you eliminate from a, a business standpoint? The physical space. There will be no reason for the physical space because it's too much overhead. It's, it's I, I think for our business, it's probably like 10% of our, our annual expenses is just rent. So as a private equity company, if you've acquired all of these clinicians, um, that are working in private at once private, um, clinics, then they become part of your network to build a platform to then only deliver telemedicine. And then you're driven by profit. Yeah. So here's, here's our edge. Okay. We're going to be the anti to this movement. Um, people are going to crave human connection. Mm-hmm. People are going to crave crave somebody who is real and genuine. And because so much of the world is going to be fake. And the fakeness of the world is going to create misery and is creating misery. Everything carefully constructed, your image through social media your connections with other people become more of a character that you're going to to play because that's what you believe that it's going to that you're going to have to do in order to be loved and accepted because that is the message that's being sent. Ours is going to be different. You know, the the center that we're going to to build is going to be based on these human connections and looking at everything a human needs to create a life worth living. I mean, and that's talking about probably like innovative treatments that are going to exist for people who are really depressed mm-hmm. um, from like sauna use, sun exposure, exercise groups, um, uh, sleep interventions, behavioral sleep interventions, mm-hmm. um, using principles of like exposure-based cognitive behavioral treatments and skill-based, but always done in a model of collaboration and human connection. And um the only way that people are really going to feel better is they if they break the addiction uh, that exists right now to to their technology and to that dopamine fix. 
whether that's the whether that's food, uh, whether that's video games, whether that's pornography, whether that's dating apps, whether that's whatever they're scrolling by Facebook, Instagram, you know, you're gonna have to end up breaking that that addiction because there's no way that that hum- the way that human beings are constructed is that you're going to feel well living mm-hmm. that that life. I mean, there's so many things that contribute to to poor mental health from a sedentary lifestyle. Um, to toxic relationships, to lack of connection, to, uh, you know, the nutrition that, that you eat, your sleep quality. So like, what happens is that you go in and you just say, I feel bad, mm-hmm. but you don't even examine or understand what the problem is. It's like, here's another, here's another drug to try to mask what, you know, you're really going through. And that's going to have a, that's, that at some point, you know, that's going to have a, a shelf life, you know, that that's going right now. There's a decreased stigma, all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a very nice, well-funded pharma marketing campaign where you're going to, you're going to, you're going to pay some celebrities to talk about this and, you know, they're going to get on TV and they're going to say, Hey, I took care of my mental health. And they're like, wow, if he took care of his, if he was struggling with his mental health, he's got everything. It must be a disease. And he got the disease too. And here's Wellbutrin. You know, and, and if once, once people, I mean, the, the rates of suicide, how much further can they go up, right? Completed suicides in, you know, young, vulnerable mm-hmm. population. At some point, people are going to say, hey, what's up here? You know, and we already are seeing a huge movement of people who kind of bought the Kool-Aid, said, I'm going to do what is traditional mental health. I'm going to do the talk therapy and the drugs. Oh, shit. 12 years later, um, I'm dependent and I'm withdrawing and I'm miserable. And now they're speaking out. What happens when they speak out? You know, they get shut down, Mm -hmm. you know, by, by big tech, by social media, by doctors who are benefiting off of it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going back to where I see this going. How difficult is it going to be to get out that message? Very difficult. It's even much more difficult. It's going to be more challenging in the year 2030 because the voice, your reach to what you want this center to evolve to uh, and all those things that you just touched on, you're going to be going up against a narrative and the millions of impressions. How much? That's extremely challenging to get your message out and have people understand how more effective it will be. I I, I always think, at what point does my Twitter get shut down? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. What's been happening over the last year has been insanity, but I feel like we're we're coming out of it now and people we're are not. actually able, people are able to to speak out on some of the things that they were shut down for um, I, just I, like 6 months ago. I follow people on Twitter all the time they're they're saying, you know, I just got shut down for just this comment. Really? I have to go to this new site, right? So how how much are long- those real people or are those people trying to migrate you over to a new site? No, they're physicians. Okay. Like no, they're like they're physicians. They're people who are speaking out against the, the pandemic, mm-hmm. or you know, um, you know, there are other experts or writers in, in their field. They're legitimate. Had huge followings. Their following got too big. Yeah. And when their following got as big as it did, and it's against the narrative that's being sold to us, they get shut down. They get censored. I know you don't like this kind of discussion. No, I, I, I'm fine with the discussion. I just you get this look on your face like you're going to vomit. No. <laughs> I just, I, I don't, can't respond to it because I'm not following those people. I, I don't, see so what, what you were talking about in terms of like those solutions, there's an element of self-discipline that has to be in people. Um, they need to regulate themselves because there's so many things to be exposed to, so many devices to play with. 
I saw something in me that scared the hell out of me when I was in college. I remember we were playing a stupid video game. I think it was the Bond game. It was like 007. It was one of those hunting or you're playing against your friend. You're sitting next to him and you two are basically in in an environment and you're hunting each other. And we lost track of time one night. And I remember looking at the clock and I went, holy crap, it's four o'clock in the morning. That scared me because it went by so quickly. We were addicted to playing it. We were like, one more, one more, yeah. one more. After that, I pretty much decided video games are not for me. I don't want that to suck up so much of my energy, my time. There are other things I need to be focusing on. And uh, I've, I don't play video games. Uh, I, I move. I remove them from my life. And even with social media, I was scrolling through when Twitter first came out. Instagram. I spend so much time just mindlessly scrolling. Now, every once in a while, I still jump onto Instagram, but I'm really want to see what my friends and family are doing. So I'm really, I'm looking at five or six uh, accounts and then I'm shutting it down. Yeah. They're, they're highly addictive. They you know, are. And, and they're created that way. Yeah. Uh, and they're created to hijack your attention. And I've, I've caught myself recently when I jump into Instagram, you scroll across one of those videos and you get sucked in a whole nother video world of just constant, you know, flicking videos. I think it's basically that TikTok model. And I catch myself and I was like, uh-uh, I'm out of here. Yeah, we're so, we're so conditioned to drive our attention into things and be constantly stimulated mm-hmm. that when we don't have that, we're faced with this feeling that we're uncomfortable with. Yeah. So there's just constant distraction. And I talked about this on right when we started this podcast. We, you know, I don't know how, I think it was our second podcast on, uh, you know, certain how to become miserable. What was our second podcast topic? Um, 10 Steps to a Life of Misery. Yeah. Is that what it was? And we talked about seeking constant, constant distractions, yeah, right? Yeah. Because then you can't, I mean, it makes it very difficult to do other things, right? It becomes harder to read. It becomes harder just to sit and have conversations. It has, uh, it's more difficult to meditate. It's more difficult to possibly even watch a, a, like a, just a show or a play or something else or go to a museum. Cause then you have the, cause your, your brain is so used to being hijacked with such small, like a lot of stimuli mm-hmm. and like that constant dopamine that you don't get that. So things that were like pleasurable previously, begin to lose their pleasure. And people don't understand that that's how our minds are designed to work through evolution. And so they, they start labeling themselves as ADHD when they can't focus on those other things. And they don't realize that they've just kind of conditioned or trained their brain to be responsive to constant stimuli. And they're, and they're experiencing addictive-like qualities. The truth of the matter is, is though we do have adaptive and malleable brains. So, um, you know, you can kind of detox off these things. Mm-hmm. And you can then get pleasure from going for a long walk or having a great conversation or reading a good book. And you just ha- we just find a way to get there. I think it, I hate to make this prediction, but I think society as we know, it's going to, going to crumble. Um, there's a lot of things that I think are, are going to potentially happen where we're going to lose these, these luxuries that we have. And a lot of people are going to struggle to be able to live uh, kind of on their own. At what point you know, does a cyber attack occur? You know, when you are the when you're the richest nation in the world, and there's war all over the world, and obviously that there's uh, you know there's a belief in you know the American capitalistic system 
you know, has a lot of power and control, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of foreign nations that the way of life that exists in the United States, they believe it has to, it has to, you know, be deconstructed. And you need, there's even, you know, a lot of people internally within the country have to be deconstructed. So at some point, you know, we just went through a pandemic. Yeah, I know. We were all, our, all, our lifestyle had to change for a period of time. Other things are going to change too. I mean, could you, could you survive if a cyber attack occurred? You lost internet access and you lost electricity for a period of time. Could I survive? I, I don't need the internet access. Um, electricity. But electricity. So you that don't, would that would probably. I, I'm probably not even thinking about the things that won't be working in my home. Running water. Running water, because the pumps. Yeah. Hmm. Um, refrigeration. Well, no, definitely that. That won't be working. Yeah, your heat, obviously. Well, I've um. I have gas, um, but the gas is run through electricity, like that. Like that's how it's. Now you're freaking me out, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sorry I say this. Well, then I'll I, just put on my virtual reality goggles and I'll just go to a better place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason I say this is because I just, you know, obviously I walked in here after listening to an expert say it's just a matter of time before yeah. the cyber attack happens. Yeah, I saw a headline yesterday about some like uh, they're they're running through um, scenarios and 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 seeing like what what the appropriate response would be so i don't know whether tests right crisis yeah, which, crisis management tests. which uh fooled me once right like when they told us <laughs> we're gonna have a worldwide pandemic and i was like ah, that's never gonna happen here yeah yeah um and then I, then what happened right so now when they start warning you about it it's like okay now i need to think a little bit differently about how we live but i digress um you know because how we got on this topic is we're we're talking about how um community and society our, our culture generally speaking um is deteriorating yeah you know it, it that it's a symptom of a cultural problem so the mental health problems aren't going to be solved by more business it's not like you're going to have to break free from the medical industry the medical industry is like we make people sick and then we give them drugs yeah. <laughs> and they don't realize how much of us is being how much we're sick from the government messages um, to the food, to the way we live, because everything that's being sold to us, look at the food pyramid for God's sakes, right? Mm-hmm. Developed to serve the food industry, but is making you sick, drives you to the medical industry, which is owned by big pharma. What are doctors even doing anymore? They're just managing the sick. They're just managing symptoms. We've lost, we've completely lost a sense of like what is wellness and what is health. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're touching on some possible solutions by identifying the problems let's transition the conversation to there Mm -hmm. so seeing where we could potentially end up in the year 2030 where do we need to go now um you i you brought up that idea of like weaning yourself off like because you have that dopamine rush happening in your brain you need to you're malleable so there are some certain controls that are put in place right now on devices for parents but clearly children are smarter than their parents and they find ways around um, or solutions around uh, using those devices i really think there needs to be improved parental recall um, controls to put restrictions in place so that you have a, a timed an amount in a day you can only be on your device for x hours a day to the credit of the Biden administration, this is part of their initiative around mental health. So okay. it's a, it is a lot more than trying to increase access. They are they are realizing they're recognizing the role that it plays. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, and so 
but listen, you don't need a you don't need government to restrict things for you to make decisions right now. That's why I said parental control. That's why we yeah we need to all parents. You you want to delay giving your children access to to phone technology as long as you can. Screens, just screens. Screens, and do you want to like you want to, and this goes back to a lot of different societal problems because so you did talk about how um, two income families, so both parents working, right? So that's a more stressed family. Yep. Um, and if that's what you're talking about, the breakdowns and maybe the family structure and not like divorce situations or broken homes, mm-hmm. then I'm with you because you're, they're too busy all the time. They're on their screens yeah. and they're working yep. and children need your, your attention. Totally. And so how many times are they just being given a, a screen to occupy them? Let me use myself as an example because I just recognized something that we were doing wrong. Uh, wife and I, Starting like around five o'clock, we'll start preparing dinner. So we'll be in the kitchen. We're doing things. Our son screaming, you know, wants our attention. I hear him every time I I call you. I know you do. We made the mistake of plopping him in front of the TV and turning on Coco Melon, which is, (laughs) it's on like YouTube. It's probably on Netflix too. And it's a sing-along animated show. And I was like, well, this is good. Hijacks the attention of a toddler. It does. He sat there in front of it. With like almost his jaw down, like staring at it and foaming at the mouth. And sometimes, you know, we go over and we'll sing like the wheels on the bus song with them. And we thought we were doing the correct thing. And all of a sudden, uh, our sister shared an article with me about how that is like the worst rated program. It got like rated an F. And then there's all these other programs that if you do need to put your child in front of screen time that are more appropriate. And even in the article, it said like, um, if your child can't sit through these better programs, they need to be detoxed for a period of time and then maybe bring those programs back. So like completely shut it out. Could, could you, hold on a second. And he's, he's 18 months old. Do, could you imagine that you, that's frequently done and then they get into school, right? Yeah, yeah. And they can't really focus and then they're labeled ADHD and given meth. So this is what was happening. Is, is this we turned, we turned off the <laughs> we turned off the TV, right? And we're like, all right, let's just make sure that we're giving him attention, even though he's screaming at our ankles, and we pick him up every once in a while. But he would look at us, and he would do like the wheels uh, yeah, on the bus movement him. with his hands, and he'd go, yeah. woo, 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 woo. that's yeah. all he wanted. He needed he his wanted fix. It. It's exactly what he it was. His fix. Dope it, fiend. It scared <laughs> it scared the crap out of us. Now I, I don't put on that that program. But if I am going to sit down with him in front of a screen, I, I put on one of those more appropriate ones, and I'll sit there and I'll hold him for that period of time, and then um, we still need we still do put them in front of the screen we're, we're human beings and we, sometimes we need a little break and um but we're recognizing how easy someone can fall into what is um a horrible practice but we thought we were doing something that was somewhat acceptable because it was a sing-along program sure i mean and, and everyone's doing that yeah right i yep. mean yeah i think these problems are are complex sean so if we're talking about solutions detoxing from technology you know, people have to realize how they're hijacking our brains and impacting our, our, our well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just got there has to be a lot more attention into like activity and purpose and conversation and social engagement and interaction. So I know that you started looking at like just some like daycare schools yeah. kind of in situations for you, for your kid where they're not going to be plopped in front of the screen. They're going to be doing like projects and like right. interacting and, and engaging with the world and being in and, and social and socializing, right? Yeah. Which is so incredibly important yep. 
for our development. And that's what I'm really concerned about, about this generation of, of high school students that were isolated from the pandemic, but were already being more and more isolated just by, you know, by technology and, and society. And that's why we're seeing such a, a worsening mental health culture. I had to learn an entire new language from working with adolescents. What do you mean? Well, um, they have a language from what happens with the way they interact on Snapchat and Instagram. Give me an example. Oh, geez. Like, um, I didn't do a good job of learning this language. <laughs> um, but like, you know, if, if you're with somebody and, and, and they like a picture of somebody else, yeah. right. Or, you know, just requesting to be followed and then like how long you wait until you respond. Oh, there's all these rules, all these rules that you're communicating something. And it's kind of strange. And then you'll have like, let's say, you know, you're a teenage relationship and you like somebody or you're in a relationship with them. You're actually like watching their social media to see who they're watching. So it's just like more and more time with nonsense mm-hmm. and worry. And we wonder why they're like so insecure and, and, and so fearful of everything. And then God forbid you ever go on TikTok or you go look at what your kids are looking. It's, it's, you know, everyone's showing their bodies to try to get more likes. Yeah. Right. Yep. More dopamine hits. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to suggest a movie for you to watch. Um, it, is this gonna? I need. Is this gonna make me more miserable? No, I think it's gonna give you some insights into that adolescent um, environment. And and you're working on a program right now, and I think you have a, a pretty strong understanding. But it was. A, I thought it was a film that was done very well. It's called Thirteen. I saw it. Oh, you saw it? Yeah, but that's a long time ago. That, that was, was a long time ago. Yeah, it, but it, a lot of those those themes still run through. Remember, she started like her own YouTube page, and she was wanted to see how many people she would keep checking and she was trying to change her identity. That's the beginning of it. It it really was. Yeah. Um, But I, I, I remember watching it and just feeling so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because we were all there, but we didn't have, we were all, we didn't have like YouTube and stuff, of course, but we, that, that feeling of wanting to be accepted and be part of like a group that exists for everybody. People think it's just like one or two people that are feel like these outliers, but every, even people within the group are still feel like they're, they're not part of the group. They're all struggling. You know, it's very human. And then I would think back of like pre-internet, mm-hmm. um, which was like I'm I'm on Thank the cusp God. of the generation, right? Yeah. Like I didn't I didn't use email until I graduated college. Yeah, my first email was um, when I was in the university. Yeah, they I, gave got, it to I me. probably yeah. got one in college, but yeah. didn't really know how to use it. So like my high school and middle school days didn't have that type of access. Now, now teenagers are drama filled. Like, you know, you, you deal with drama like in school, but there's a, like a respite, you know, it's like once you leave, you're like, you're cut off from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Unless you were on your phone with with your parents kind of controlled and you were going out and doing things. There's no respite from that. Yeah. You go home and you're exposed to it, like spreading like wildfire and it's constantly, it's hijacking your brain and your attention and you're dealing with drama and you're trying to resolve it. It's unsustainable. It's absolutely unsustainable. Yeah. I mean, that's I made conscious decisions to keep my kids busy, like very busy. And to previous generations, it might even it like looked like we were kind of overscheduling to to, <laughs> a, to a degree. But you know, my kids were much better when they had the structure of sports, and then had to come home and do do their homework. 
and then by they didn't the have any time to by get the time the their shower is <laughs> over and like and it's it's ready for bed and the phone's downstairs like they just couldn't get a hold of it until the next morning yeah you know it's like would we just you control them the phones were downstairs like always downstairs did you you lock them up or would you just you give them you you just leave it downstairs uh, yeah away they, from it was just a rule yeah that you can't have your phone in, in your, your room. room yeah yeah That's because everything we knew about sleep, right? The most important thing for teenagers is sleep. They'll be on that thing. You were on the video game until 4 a.m.? Yeah. They'll be on their phones till till 4 uh, a.m. if I they're dealing it. with a situation, right? Yep. Or just scrolling mindlessly. Yep. And you just worry, what if they don't have things to to divulge their attention into, right? Like, so what if they're, they're, they're not into sports or they're not into some other hobby, music, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. you know? Then there's so much time where they're at home in those phones and in video games. Yep. And here we, you know, this is the problem that we're seeing. You're not going to solve it by more treatment specialists, mm-hmm. right? Cause you're going right back to the lifestyle you were living and how many mental health professionals are really targeting that lifestyle. I mean, they're still, they're st- so stuck in some of these ideas. They think that the person in front of them has a disease. Yeah. It's just insanity. Yep. So I'm going to refer you to a psychiatrist because God, you know, it's, Eight sessions of talking to me made it make you feel better. It is ridiculously narcissistic and idiotic. You know, like, wait, I just assumed that you talking to me for eight to 10 sessions would have resolved your depression. But you're, you're, you're leaving here and you're going back and you're living the same exact life. Nothing changes. That's why effective mental health treatment is very active, goal-oriented, change-focused or acceptance-based in different areas. And you're, you're engaging with an entire environment. There has to be legitimate change unless you're going to feel better. We can't expect people to feel better in this culture, the way things are, the, what they're doing. So you touched on, um, in terms of some solutions, we know the role that uh, social media and devices have. The role of, um, I think you're touching on more like deliberate practice within in the field, making sure that people understand what, what therapy should look like, right? Well, I, I actually, you, you were touching on this before about integrated care. Yeah. But it needs to be integrated care in a different model. Like so, I'm not willing to go right back into the system that creates so many problems and just act within it. I'm more interested in seeing, seeing uh, mental health specialists more holistically. Uh, if you don't have an adequate understanding of nutrition, yeah. um, I don't know how you can work effectively because these are major factors that influence somebody feeling bad. Um, like I'm really interested and need to learn more and we need to get experts on this podcast to talk about the nutrient deficiencies and how it affects mood. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're legitimate. So um, we, uh, when we have phone calls for people seeking out care, um, we're keeping a log just for, for data. So I understand, you know, the quantity and often when people decline to go on a waiting list, I, I have them write down the reason why. And sometimes the reason why is they were seeking out medication as like the first, um, the first step in, in their process. And I, I know we've touched on it in previous episodes about the role of, um, just recovering naturally. Well, they were sold that. Well, people believe that they need medication, Yeah, they were sold it. So let's look forward to the year where we need to go. Um, Right now, I feel like the first approach for many people is medication first, then whatever comes next. Shouldn't there be a waiting period? Um, So if somebody enters into this integrated care model, they need to 
You no, know. you already know how I feel about this. I know you do. No, I don't think there should be a waiting period. They're not safe and they're not effective. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you can't convince I, me. I know. I'm just You can't convince me that there's something that's safe and effective when we don't have that data to support I, it. I'm mitigating on the margins. And I know of you, you, you hate when I do that. Yeah. But if people are going to recover, Listen, like 30% yeah, of people but, recover naturally. One 30 per, where, that's I don't made know. up numbers. What, don't make up numbers sorry. on the podcast. I'm, we're not doing that. That's a placebo effect, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't no, it? So you're talking about real clinical disorders, right? We're talking about... The, I don't know. Like one in five people is has a mental... 20%? That's what it is. That's what we saw in that data, it's on, right? It's insane. No, 20 that like four, that's why I came up with that, like 40 million people right 20, now. So 20% of people are miserable and unhappy. Yeah. Right? So listen, I'm... I'm not interested in saying there's a waiting period for a drug and you take the drug and then you're feeling good. We don't see that. There, that evidence isn't there. So it's not really I'm about just trying that. to prevent more people from going on medication. I want to prevent more people from going into the system. I am in the system and we want to prevent a lot of people from going into so it the way it's constructed. You're in the business of going out of business is really your goal. I'm in the business of working with the people that I came into this field to work with. Those that truly need, and who are they? The ones that have been traumatized. So, well, I mean, because the, the system. Yeah, no, I'll, 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 throughout history, we've talked about this in, in like concepts of people who have been, um, you know, victims to uh, violence or mm -hmm. sexual violence. There are, are, you know, I started off in eating disorders, mm -hmm. you know, eating disorders, you know, bulimia and anorexia are severe medical conditions. Um, I do believe depression is real. <laughs> um, you know, that the difference between somebody who's really battled, you know, depression, um, regardless of environment circumstances and falling into dark places where they question their life. Like these people are, are the ones I want to, I want to be able to help. Um, there's just when, when society is making you sick the world that you're living in and you're expecting not to you're expecting to feel better because that's what it was sold to you you know we're going to work with a lot of people just victims of society mm -hmm. you know at, at some point you got to say hey listen you, you got to break free from the video game or you know you got to get up and you got to exercise you can't eat like that you need to have some purpose and meaning like this isn't traditionally you know that what the, the clinical psychology field was working with. It's just expanded. So in efforts to create more customers, you know, we're overloading the system. And this is without even us talking about other things that really matter, uh, spiritual connections, mm -hmm. religion, community, you know, physical health, like, you know, love, marriage, commitment. There's so many things about a breakdown of society that if you don't have it, you're going to be miserable. Yeah. There is no other way. What they're selling you in movies, on television, in the internet, it's not real, folks. Like, <laughs> that, is, that is not what is going to make you happy. And that's why you're miserable. There's not something wrong with you, right? Following that model to a life worth living is a, a road to absolute misery, and everyone who's selling it to you knows it. They're purposely doing it. They're trying to get your likes. They're trying to get your follows. Okay, they're provoking the insecurities for you. They want you miserable. If you're miserable, you are dependent. You are dependent on them. You are dependent on their product. They might be, you might even be dependent on their government. You might be dependent on their device. You need to break free, free from all this. All of us. There is no way to feel good on the current way that you are living. Sorry, Sean, I scared you over there. No, I was thinking that, that might be a, a, a really nice way to, to, to summarize this entire episode. So I wanted to give a long pause. So um, in terms of like where we need to go, 
we have to start thinking about health and well-being. I don't, we don't want to be the band-aid, right? We don't say, hey, I'm going to jump on this app. I'm going to do five minutes of meditation. I'm going to take this drug. It's a band-aid on a gaping wound. But we need from the moment these kids are born, because I'm now thinking about next generations, because there are people and generations that, are, that I've lost hope for by the way they think, by the way they act, from the victimization culture to the dependence on the devices to identifying with a, with a disorder, uh, the rage culture, everything that, that kind of exists. I don't have a lot of hope that you're going to feel real good, those, those people. And in fact, there's people who are going to feed into it. They're going to hate this episode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we got to be interested in people who don't want to live like that who don't want to see themselves as a, a victim to a brain condition or a government or something else, that they want to take some agency and control in their lives and in their children's lives, and they want to create a better life and a, and a better society. That's where, you know, if we're going to talk about health, let's create health, right? Let's, let's look at so many things that have, have made us sick. Mm-hmm. And that's why I post so many of these things that are negative. Everyone wants me to talk about solutions and things that are positive. Most of the time, if you look at my post, it's stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, to, not to oversimplify some things, but I'm trying to tell you that that way of living is not going to allow you to feel good. There's, you have to make so many changes. I felt like we've done, we've done some of these episodes on our podcast, we life have, changing yeah. habits, yeah. how to manage anxiety, sleep, this one. Um, you know, we've talked about it. But if you're not willing to give up your addiction to all these comforts, supposed comforts that have been provided to you, the ones that are impairing your sleep, making you miserable, and having you feel empty, if you're not willing to break that addiction, don't come into mental health treatment. And you think these comforts right now are being masked behind the word of accessibility? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So Sean, I, I think, you know, the message is right now is uh, our lifestyle is making a lot of people sick. Um, be very, very skepti- skeptical and um, be careful of the temptation that there's, there's some fast food mentality, quick fix to all the problems that exist in your life. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.